Ever wonder what psychologist moms talk about when we get together? Whether we're consulting one another about a challenging case or one of our own kids, or just leaning on each other when parenting feels hard, because trust me, even when we do this for a living, it's still hard. Joining me each week in these special Thursday shows are two of my closest friends, both moms, both psychologists. They're the people I call when I need a sounding board. These are our unfiltered answers to your parenting questions. We're letting you in on the conversations the three of us usually have behind closed doors. This is Securely Attached, Beyond the Sessions. Hi there. This week, we're answering a DM from a listener named Carrie who writes, I just found your podcast. I just listened to episode 78, which for some context is a really awesome interview that I recorded with Dr. Cindy Huffington from Curious Neuron. So if you haven't heard that out, definitely check it out after this one. But she writes, in this interview, you mentioned spicy children who live close to the feeling of shame and the need to talk about emotions after the heat of the moment once things have calmed down. I have a five-year-old daughter like this and I am struggling. Can you talk more about these types of kids and go deeper into this? Okay, so a little context from this interview. I was using this term spicy kind of offhand to describe my own kiddo because my daughter gets hot fast and has a, a hard time cooling down quickly. So there's a lot that I could talk about, you know, in respect to being a parent of a kid who has this sort of sensitive temperament and a slow return to regulation. Um, I want to just introduce everyone to our guests. If you haven't already been listening to the Beyond the Sessions series, I'm here with fellow psychologist and moms, Dr. Emily Upshur, Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg. I'm really glad to have your take on this because. We work with kids like this. We work with parents who have kids like this. We also have kids like this. So, you know, what what are your thoughts on just even this idea of like a spicy kid or a sensitive kid or a challenging kid? Like, what are we what are we talking about when we even use these words? I think that's a great question. I, I think I actually like the idea term of spicy, because I think it takes a little bit of the stigma away from something that we're maybe talking about under the surface, which is a highly emotional child, which can be tough, right, for parents. And I think, you know, saying a spicy child says, well, well, they have a little something good about them, right? Like it gives the other Mm -hmm. side of that, which is like, yes, it can be difficult and there can be big feelings and it can be strong. On the other hand, they're interesting. They're exciting. They have a spice to them, right? Which I think mm-hmm. is the other side of that. So it's not just the negative reframe um, on that. Um, but I guess I would say, like, to, to address some of the other questions, you know, this is emotional and it's emotional for the child. They have really strong emotions in both directions and other in either way. Um, and it's also really evocative for parents because that means you're right there in it with them more often having to regulate your own emotions, but also either having to weather or co-regulate your child's emotions. Yeah. It's not easy. 
<laughs> I also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound all nerdy for a second. I can't believe this is what the term that just occurred to me, which is um, continuous versus categorical. <laughs> Ooh, just, I love this. Nerd out. A throwback to, you know, stats. Um, but I think spicy is on a continuum, you know, and I do think in some ways we don't do our quote unquote non-spicy kids a favor by kind of having it be categorical. Like, oh, I've got three kids and one is spicy and two aren't. Like, I, I, I think it's a continuum and I think people are on a continuum. And it's so much about like, you know, I had a spicy day yesterday because I was exhausted and I forgot to eat lunch or something. You know, I mean, it uh-huh. changes with time and context. And I think there's freedom in that. Um, and so we have to think about it the same way we don't label kids as a diagnosis per se. You know, so many of these things are on a continuum. Um, and I think the shame part of this question is relevant in a very um, concrete and pragmatic way that I've had to cope with a lot, frankly, with one of my own kids. I have two sons, um, which is the idea that they live close to shame and that that comes up when you are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like setting any kind of a limit, basically, you Mm -hmm. know, that, that if they are engaging in a behavior that is less than ideal and you come in as a parent to set a limit around it, the shame response can be so, um, intense, frankly, that it is a deterrent from wanting to set limits, um, with these kids sometimes. And I think that's just important and interesting to name because it's not, um, it doesn't do anybody any favors to kind of walk on eggshells with these kids. And in fact, these kids more than most need to know that you are there as a secure boundary setter, a container. Um, however, they make it difficult. I shouldn't say they make it difficult. It is difficult because their reactions can be so incredibly strong because of that shame that's right there under the surface. And that's, it's again, just to validate this, this listener, it's, it's hard. Right. I, I love that. I also think like the part of shame, I think is so important because to me, it's, it's really valuable for us to think about how much they care, right? The, the shame in, it, that, it, that insinuates that I, I'm so embarrassed that I don't know the limit. Someone has to tell me it, or I don't like to be corrected because oof, that means I didn't know in the first place, or I didn't realize I was, I was out of control in my body and my actions and my behaviors. I think that makes them care a lot. But to Rebecca's mm-hmm. point, it's so the, the social shame, embarrassment cue from, from us as parents can turn up that reaction in a way that I think is um, both showing that they care, but also difficult to manage, right? Like behaviorally difficult to manage. Right. And Emily, to your point, I think there's two things. One is when we as parents can recognize that our child is actually becoming more dysregulated. So they don't, they're, they're, they're angry, which makes them dysregulated. So then they do something really icky and then they feel shame, which makes them more dysregulated. Or we set a limit and they feel shame and that makes them more dysregulated. So we see this sort of like double explosion. It's very easy um, for a parent, very understandable for a parent to say, wow, you just did something really crappy And now you are making it even worse and not recognizing that 
the child is really not trying to get this out of control, that they just got double whacked basically by an internal explosion. So when we think about what they're experiencing in terms of their emotional experience versus their behaviors, we can have more empathy. We feel more empathy towards a child when we say, wow, you are feeling a tremendous amount of shame right now and it's making it really hard for you to stay in control versus when we think, wow, you just hit your brother and now you're freaking out because I said you couldn't and you're making it even worse. These are all the, that's the difference between what they're feeling and what they're doing. That's one thought I had. The other thought I'm having is the difference between shame and guilt and why it's really important, not in these hot moments, but in other moments to help all of our children, but especially these sensitive ones that do feel shame profoundly, to learn the difference between guilt and shame. Because I actually think that like, and the way I kind of, to to sort of sum it up sort of in a nutshell, like the way I kind of conceptualize it between shame and guilt is I feel guilt when I think this is bad. I This thing I did is bad. I feel shame when I think I am bad. And so I do think our kids who are more sensitive towards going to that shame interpretation, I'm bad. That's really destabilizing for them. But if we can help them sort of learn the skill of reading a situation and interpreting something as I did a behavior, that behavior is bad. I hit my brother. That's bad. That behavior is bad versus I hit my brother. I'm bad. And so that's a process that has to happen outside the heat of the moment. But I think the more we can educate our kids about the difference and help them have more accurate interpretations of the situation can reduce that sense of like shame explosion. Yeah. And I think it's a reminder for us as parents too, because I think, you know, we obviously have a lot more control over ourselves, you know, in these interactions. It's a reminder of how at least some of these kids go through life or their day-to-day kind of constantly being told that they're doing something bad. And so how could you not internalize that? You know, Mm -hmm. and it's this reaction of, now I'm being yelled at again for hitting my brother. I was yelled at three times for hitting my brother yesterday. I can't seem to stop. You know, it's like, and so it's a reminder to parents, the very old kind of, you know, behavioral technique that I'm sure we were all taught, you know, in grad school and we pass on to parents of just that ratio idea, you know, of, of, you know, if you're, if you are constantly giving your child commands or no's or criticisms or don't do this to just be hyper aware of times that you can praise and, or just tell a funny story or a joke, just sort of what's the ratio in your home of criticisms, um, to non-criticisms for this particular kid, because you can have those conversations about shame versus guilt, which I think is a really great idea, Sarah. But if if outside of that conversation, you are actually kind of communicating everything you do is bad, then <laughs> how could they not make the leap? Um, mm-hmm. And that, to me, I find comfort in that because that's in my control. It's not about when is my kid going to grasp this concept that they're not bad. It's that I can help them by, again, 
specific praise for all the good stuff, commenting on the day that I've had talking about, you know, I feel tired. I got a haircut. Let me tell you this funny thing that happened, just really making sure that that conversation in the home is not just stop, don't, you know, for this kid, Mm -hmm. because that's going to be this kid's experience. I love that, Rebecca, because I also think like, we, we often tell parents like notice the positives, right? Not just the negatives. Don't just give attention towards the, the negative behaviors. And, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe some of the listeners will also, you know, sometimes I'll create a mastery experience for my child. Right. So sometimes I'll say like, you know, like in my head, I know they're, they're really good at like setting the table. Right. So I'll give them that task and praise them for it right? Like, Oh, good, great job. Doesn't have to be over the top. Doesn't have to be, you know, super, but just sort of like, I'm going to like make a note to give you an experience of mastery and an experience where you feel in control. And, and you, when you feel like proud of your actions and your ability to do a task so that you can balance out some of those other, those other times when you're less regulated, I think these kids take in, the good just as much as they, that's the, the both sides of the spicy thing that I was saying earlier is like, I think they, there's a lot of range of emotion to your point, Rebecca, like the spectrum, but it's also on the good side, right? Like I find these quote unquote spicy kids to also like feel joy in amazing ways as well. And so I think we can emphasize that balance, like you're saying, Rebecca, on the other side. I think that is really, really profound, Emily, because it's so doable. I mean, Rebecca, like what you're saying, like- Is also profound. I mean, come on. Very profound. Very (laughs) profound. One of the things I'm thinking parents are going to think at first glance is I'm criticizing my kid. I should criticize them less to manage that ratio. And then they're like, but I'm supposed to set limits. I'm supposed to set boundaries. I'm supposed to be the, the container. And it's like, so what you guys are both saying is you don't need to necessarily set less limits or be more permissive or let everything go because you're not supposed to, quote, criticize your kid. It's about adding in more of these positive moments, connected moments. And then, Emily, your point of actually like being a little intentional and and, and crafting moments that allow them to practice a sense of mastery Because the thing is, the other flip side, yes, the kids who are constantly being corrected and critiqued and criticized and contained all the time because they might be quicker to lose their cool and and behave impulsively or in a dysregulated, you know, not so conscientious way, they are getting a lot of correction all the time. But and that's going to make them feel perhaps shame or bad about themselves. But you know what else it also hits is that self-esteem and that confidence. And so, Emily, I think to your point is like when you are introducing opportunities to amplify your child's innate like capacity for certain things, one, we hit that point that Rebecca is saying, which is we get to add in all this positive reinforcement and positive acknowledgement. But the other thing it touches on is it builds confidence. It builds self-esteem. And the more a child has a you know, high self-esteem, that counterbalances that dysregulation system because esteem and mastery mm-hmm. and confidence is regulating. So I'm like a, loving all of this. 
I also think it's, it's, it's being conscious and intentional about what we're drawing attention to. So, you know, a lot of parents will praise like, you know, academic success or achievement. And certainly there's other episodes you've done. And I think we've even done about that and growth mindset and whatnot. But I'm thinking about yesterday, actually. Um, and I heard about this. I wasn't there, but at camp, my son made a friendship bracelet. And then one of his counselors accidentally knocked knocked it and it all fell on the floor. Like all the beads came off and fell on the floor mm. and he stayed calm. And like that for, you know, a spicy quote unquote kid, like that's a triumph beyond anything, you know? And so being able to say like, whoa, you know, to point out times, because again, it's noticing, as you said, Emily, the positives, but it's what's the particular positive. If this is a kid who has a really hard time sometimes managing their big feelings and that that gets them in trouble, whether it's at school or with their friends or sports or whatever, Look for the times, not just where they're doing great, which is, you know, sure, by all means, but look for the times where they actually are successfully managing their big feelings and make a really big deal out of that because they are often able to do it. It's just those times get lost mm-hmm. because they're not unsafe and they're not, you know, they, they don't merit the attention necessarily. And so really making a big deal out of you know, oh my gosh, all your beads just fell on the floor. You worked on this really hard. And then somebody that wasn't you kind of ruined it. And I see you sitting calmly and just chilling about it. Like what an unbelievable victory. Um, Yeah. I love that, Rebecca. I think it's so much about like the narrative and not making a determined, a determined narrative about your child. My child isn't good with flexibility. Well, your child was just good with flexibility, right? So Mm -hmm. if we make this narrative that's sort of you know, black and white thinking, you know, in these very declarative ways, we don't give them the opportunity to show us the times when they can. And I really, I really love that. And I, and I also think like our narrative is so powerful. I think about this because my, my kids were, I have one kid that loves sleepaway camp and one kid that's meh about sleepaway camp or, you know, he's, he's now more positive about it, but you know, we build up so much narrative around the one child who's such a camper and he's such a thing. And, and it sort of carries him even when the days he's not such a camper, right? Like, I think it even sort of carries him on the days that, that maybe he's having a harder time, but that's not how we talk about that child. We talk about that narrative around that child of mine is he's a great camper. Right. So I think mm-hmm. it's so powerful, our narratives. It can be positive, but it can also go in that other direction of like, oh, you're not very flexible. Oh, you lose it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think we just have to be mindful of the power of that narrative around each child. I think that's really true. I think it's super true. I think too, like the yeah, the stories we tell about our kids are the stories that our kids end up enacting. And so it's if we and not to make more work for parents, but the reality is, is sometimes it really boils down to some really tight semantics and it can be difficult. I recognize it's difficult. I mean, I certainly can't in the heat of the moment always say the right words. And I definitely hope that parents listening know you're not responsible for always saying the right words. But when we do talk about like semantics, these are kind of like the compass words, right? And so, Emily, what you're making me think of is this idea of like, okay, when my child does something aggressive, dysregulated, out of control, 
instead of describing it in terms of like a quality about who they are, like that's really mean to hit your brother or can you be, you're, you know, that don't be mean or that wasn't nice to say, try to find more a sort of neutral words for describing it. Like it's not safe to hit your brother or when you're mad, there are things you can do and there are things that you can't do because it's not safe. I think talking about kids' behaviors in terms of safe, not safe versus good, bad, or mean, nice is hard to do in the moment because it's really hard when you're also kind of hot and navigating a big, you know, explosion. But if we can get into the habit of using more neutral terms to describe our kids' behaviors, that can go a long way in like kind of crafting that narrative so that my kid isn't hearing the story, I'm not nice or I'm mean. The kid is hearing the story like this behavior wasn't safe. Curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, parents all the time will say, well, my kid, you know, I just, he's naughty all the time or he's, you know, these words and I, you know, I've, I get it. And it, I just don't at all think it's a useful framework. And again, I, I think it can be daunting, but also really empowering as a parent to realize all the different tools that you have at your disposal that are in your control. And that if you change the framework, if you're just like, I'm not, I'm really going to focus on shifting my mindset from naughty and good or, you know, Santa style or whatever <laughs> to, you know, dysregulated and regulated or safe and not safe, like, that does a tremendous amount toward helping you stay calm and able to set clear and firm limits in a calm and kind and loving way, which is the basis for attachment and secure attachment, which is obviously key to this podcast and life. <laughs> um, and, and again, so it's like, yes, it's like, okay, the semantics, oh God, and I can't say this and I can't say this and I can't say this. You can view it as this is so hard. This is a drag or like, wait a second. So I don't have to do anything with my three-year-old. I can focus on the way that my thinking patterns can change. And you're saying some of this will change. And the answer mm -hmm. is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also think it's like, you can make mistakes. Like my kids love to correct my, I'll say you're never listening. Right. Which is a, like, you know, it's that declarative big blanket thing. And, and, and I'll be like, okay, you're right. That's not fair. You were listening before. And right now you're not listening very well. So let me, I'll take a step back and I'll say that out loud and I'll verbalize that to them um, just to show that like, we can't be perfect, but we can mm -hmm. try to course correct even in the moment. It's okay to say, oh, I was over. I made a too declarative statement. Sorry. You know what? You're not listening right now, but you did do a good job listening earlier. So not all, it's not all lost, you know? And I think that they do appreciate that. Right. Because what you're modeling there is one, flexibility, two, the fact that you can mess up and course correct with like some ease and willingness. And three, you are showing them, like we were talking before, that you see the good. You know what? You're right. You did do that before. And you're helping create that narrative that yet you actually can listen. Mm -hmm. You're not listening right now, but you can listen. So I know we've got something to work with here. Mm -hmm. And that changes the whole trajectory of that interaction. So I love, love that verbalizing your own self-correction in the moment to your kids because it's like, oh, it packs so many good things in there. So, I mean, we could talk about this forever. This will come up again because it's such a per 
pervasive and consistent theme in parenting. But to this to this mom, I really hope this episode feels like it helps you, you know, to feel like it's it is hard and it can really feel like a struggle, but there are definitely things that you can do to shift it even just a little bit um so that it doesn't feel so overwhelming cuz you know having a spicy kid is hard it's a lot of work but it can be really rewarding because they have lots of flavor <laughs> all right talk soon thanks bye everyone thank you so much for listening as you can hear parenting is not one size fits all it's nuanced and it's complicated So I really hope that this series where we're answering your questions really helps you to cut through some of the noise and find out what works best for you and your unique child. If you have a burning parenting question, something you're struggling to navigate, or a topic you really want us to shed light on or share research about, we want to know. Go to drsarahbrenton.com forward slash question to send in anything that you want Rebecca, Emily, and me to answer in this new series, Securely Attached Beyond the Sessions. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash question. And check back for a brand new Securely Attached next Tuesday. And until then, don't be a stranger.